Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Talking about our worship series this morning, we've introduced a couple of concepts so far, and really the, the prevailing concepts behind this core value for us. You know, on, on the one hand, we've talked about worship uh, like what we just experienced, which, by the way, didn't sound like very many people needed those words, so we're no longer going to do that on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Janine. Okay, turn the frown upside down. All right, let's fix the face. All right, good. We get that. <laughs> It's, it, it's, the, it's praise and worship that happens in a musical setting, and how many of you know it's God-ordained? You know, like God, there's, I, I remember I had a, a friend in, in college, I was at Truman State University my freshman year, and, uh, and he was from a Church of Christ background, and he said, no, uh, you know, musical, like instrumental worship is like demonic, like it's not God, and we, and we thus shouldn't do it, and, and uh, you know, I had many great discussions with him, but years later, he actually looked me up, found me, called me on the phone, and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I've graduated to your way of thinking. I'm now worshiping God with instruments. I'm like, come on, get him, Jesus. You know, it's like, it was his design. It was his design. Like, like literally the devil was an orchestra leader. His body, however that thing worked out, was a, was a musical instrument to God. God created this. He created music, and he created it uh, for purposes. Some of it, which we'll get into even this morning. So there's a sense in which it's like God's worthy of our, that musical aspect of our worship. Like he's worthy of us coming into this church on a Sunday morning or any other time and pouring our hearts out to him in the place of musical worship. And we talked also last week, Pastor Missy brought the the reality that it's not just musical worship, it's actually a lifestyle of worship, right? And so like you're, you're worshiping something, like whether you know it or not, like you're actually designed to worship, you're worshiping something with your thoughts, with your behaviors, with the things that are coming out of your mouth. It, it's just who or what. That's the only thing in question. You know, but, but it's, a, it's a lifestyle of, of worship. And both of those things I, I want to get into just a little bit this morning as we potentially close out this leg, if that's all right. I don't know why I ask you. I don't listen anyway. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, you know, like, is it possible, is it possible that worship, uh, while God is the aim of our worship, the recipient of our worship, is it possible that worship is more about us than it is about him? Remember that question? The reality is he doesn't actually need it, doesn't demand it. He's not going to get any better for it. Right? But I I introduced that, and I don't want you to get confused even for a second. That doesn't mean that we're the center of our worship. You know, my daughter was talking to me about a new philosophy and religion that uh, apparently some of the young folks are ascribing to. And the sense was if God's in everything, and that means that God's in me, which means then my self indulgent is actually worship of God. So I get to do whatever I want, just be happy. I'm like, "Mm, that's a little wrong. Like, I'm not at the center of my worship. God's still at the center of my worship or it doesn't work, right? Like, he's the center of all of my affections and what I'm doing in that place or ultimately there's no, tra- there's no transformation uh, to be had. So I, I want to make that set certain that the record is clear on that. I also introduced last, or a couple of weeks ago just this idea that oftentimes in the place of worship, and we do it in worship, oftentimes in the place of prayer as well, we come with our, our laundry list, don't we? 
You know, and, and oftentimes we, we all have like a limited portion that we call our quiet time where we're engaging God, hopefully without distractions. And, and, and oftentimes we come with our laundry list and the whole time it ends up just being us asking God for stuff. And when we're asking God to do stuff for me, for us, that ends up being a self-centered time of worship, right? Like, like, I'm, 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 like there's a sense in which in those moments of encounter or potential encounter with God, I can actually put myself on the throne. I can actually exalt my own heart's desires and my own need over the sense of relationship that he's extending me in those moments. And so we talked a little bit about, and I just want to reiterate this, we talked a little bit about how worship actually allows me, like there's an opportunity afforded us that when we come in, we're able to, in a sense, escape all of the stuff that plagues our thoughts, all of our to-do lists and all of the things that are going wrong in our life. We're able actually to step outside of that to get all of our mental focus and our energy off of me, my life, all of the stuff that's going wrong, and to actually exchange that for a focus onto God. Like I, can, like, I just, I love that song, like, I'm trading my sorrows, right? Like, we, we get to trade our sorrows, our cares, our concerns, and exchange them for an encounter with God. And, and what happens in that moment is I'm actually taking my eyes off of me, and I'm putting my eyes off of Him. And how many of you know, He can do everything? So, like, I, I, I'm taking my eyes off of the hopeless, and I'm putting them onto the hopeful. I'm, I'm putting my eyes onto the one that can actually do something about the problems that I'm facing, and I enter into this exchange, or shall I say a promise from God that says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added. So we talked about this again a couple of weeks ago. I'm just reminding you. This is part of this musical aspect of worship. It's this grand exchange where I actually reposition myself on God. And in so doing, I get the answers to the prayers that I would have been praying anyways. Because he said, just seek him and those things will be taken care of. Right? So I, I'm, I'm taking my eyes off of me, a self-centered worship. I'm putting my eyes off of the one who can actually provide solutions to the problems that I'm facing in the first place. I get the opportunity in the place of worship to move out of the depression of my circumstances and into the hopeful position before God, into joy, because there's what in his presence? Fullness of joy in his presence, right? There's fullness of joy, and joy is what to us? Joy is our strength, right? So... There's a grand exchange happening where he's saying, get your eyes off of those things. Fix your eyes back on me. It's a weekly, maybe it's a little bit more for some of us, but it's a reminder every time we stand before him that, oh yes, God, it's like, it's, a, it's being recorrected to his plumb line. Like I needed that reminder. I was, you're right. I was getting off on the worries and the cares of the world. And, and like tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. And I'm just like, like and, I, and I, can, I can take a step out of that and just wash myself in his presence. And in his presence, there's actually joy and there's, there's hope to be found. And that joy is my strength. And how many of you know his strength was what I needed all along? You know, you, you ever look out at some of your unsaved friends and you just think, I don't even know. I don't know how they do it. Well, they don't. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. I remember Governor Jesse Ventura of Minnesota many years ago. I don't know where he f- fell off to. Maybe he's still in politics. But he was like, oh, Christians, you know, you just use Jesus as a crutch. I'm like, uh, and? My, <laughs> you, you think I can walk on my own? <laughs> 
if you think I can walk on my own, like, like, like somebody, somebody tell him about Jesus because he doesn't even understand. Like, yeah, you better believe Jesus is my crutch. I'm leaning on him for absolutely everything. And I get an opportunity in the place of worship to remind myself that I can't walk on my own. You know, like, at, like at best, I'm going to stumble over something and break my head open. But with him, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things when I keep myself fixed upon him. I can do all things when I'm fixed and I'm following his movements and I'm under like the shadow of his wings and the protection that he affords me. I can do all things in that place when I exchange all of my worries and my concerns and the things that so easily entangle my mind with the joy and the peace that's available in his presence in the place where he said, I'll take care of all that anyway. Right? This is why... We do what we do. It's why it's so significant. Here's the other thing it does for us. We've talked about the grand exchange. There's something else that's exchanged in this place of worship, and it's lies. We get to come in and we exchange the lies that we've been believing. See, it's, it's, the, it's the design of God to get you to declare over yourself, over your circumstances, over your perception of God, <laughs> to get you to declare the word of God and to reset your mind. You know, I, I just, I just, I've just gotten into this place where I, 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 I just, I feel like God's letting me down. Like, I don't feel like he's showing up. He's not going where I want him to go. He's not saying what I want him to say. And that Sunday, divinely, Corey's picked out a song. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're like, oh God. There's an opportunity for an exchange in that moment for the lie that you were believing, for the truth that God, that you're now beginning to declare. Like, man, I'm just, I'm feeling like, like I've, like I've lost some hope and I've, I've lost some, some intimacy with you, God. I've just, I've, and then he says, oh, I've got you. Beauty, beauty, beautiful. You're like, oh, yeah, there you are. See, there's an exchange. We get to come in and kind of go, yeah, I forgot. You're right. I was dwelling on all those things. And I get to come in here whenever you want but on a Sunday specifically, and I get to come into this corporate presence because where two or three are gathered, there you are, God, upping the ante of the potential for my encounter with you. I get to come into this place and be reminded week after week of his word. We're singing his word. I remember when I was young, when I was maybe, yeah, I was, no, I was young. <laughs> When I first got saved, like how many of you got an immediate download of all the scripture? So that's no one. Good. Glad because you know, I would need you to lay your hands on me. You know, so I, I didn't know the scriptures at first. I, I didn't know that I was coming in on a Sunday morning and actually singing scripture. And then I get into my studies and I'm like, look, at, we just sang that. That's out of Isaiah 61. Like, that's amazing. And see, this is the other thing that I think he does. We're exchanging lies for the truth of the word. But like, how many of you are good at, at memorizing scriptures? Wow. Like, so that's nobody. Some of you are just feeling shy because you don't want to embarrass your neighbors. 
You know, honestly, I, I, I'm not that great at it. But, you know, I, I even know the most hokey songs that we sang in seminary. You know, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but I shall meditate there. Ask me the scripture. I couldn't tell you. But I can sing the song, baby. <laughs> I'm like, what's Joshua 1.8 say? I don't know, but here, work with me. This book of the law. Right? Like there's, there's something about worship that actually imprints the word of God on our minds. And it, and it, it gets into the inside where you're like, you know what? The scripture does say God is good. The scripture does say that God is faithful. We're actually singing it back like, you're the God who's never going to leave me. You're so good. You're so kind. You're so faithful. You're so We're singing back. We're singing back to God. We're singing back over our life. We're singing back over our circumstances, the truth of the word of God. And here's the rest of the truth. Outside of these four walls, and God help us sometimes inside the four walls, you know, there are all kinds of voices speaking over your life. You know, you, out there, people are telling you that you don't matter, you're never going to amount to anything, that you're worthless, that you're ugly, that you're not measuring up to the supermodel status unless you're Misty Benson, and you're... <clears throat> I just had to make sure I was covered, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but we're hearing all kinds of voices that are speaking into our lives. We get an opportunity to walk through those doors and actually allow the truth of God as we're singing it to wash over us and to reset us with the plumb line of God out of his scriptures. Here's the cool thing about it. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. (laughs) You've been set up. You didn't even know it. You've been set up. So God's designed this setup. We do this every, every Sunday morning. We trick you. Every Sunday morning, you walk through those doors, and we get you to declare the word of God over your lives. And you begin to hear yourself sing it. And you would never say it otherwise, but you're doing it because you feel a little obligated. You're like, the words are up there on most days. You know, I'm reading the words. And you're act- you've, been, you've been duped by the system that exists to actually declare an agreement with the Word of God over your life. Your ears are hearing it. And as your ears hear it, your faith level begins to rise on the inside of you. Wait a second. You're right. God said he would never leave me or forsake me. He's the God of angel armies. He's the God who has like an infinite amount of provision. Like he's the God that completes me. I have his mind and I'm in him. You know, we're reminded of all of these truths that we get to exchange for the lies that have built up in our heart. And our faith level begins to rise as the sound of our own voice partners with the power of Holy Spirit and the word of God as we declare it on a Sunday morning. Isn't that powerful? Some of you just thought we were singing songs. To all of the unsaved, where's my cameras now? I don't even know anymore. Like, to all of the unsaved on YouTube, we're not just singing songs, okay? It's strategic. It's significant. It's important, right? The Bible says in regard to salvation that we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths, right? Let me, let me just step out of the salvation experience for a second to say we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouths unto power, unto transformation. And so you come through those doors on a Sunday morning, even if you've been thinking wrong, you, you, your spirit recognizes that's the word of God. Even if you don't know it, you're recognizing, no, that's truth. We're singing truth this morning. And for those of you who are a bit more studied, you recognize it. Oh yeah, that's Isaiah 61. Oh yeah, that's, you know, whatever, whatever. Oh yeah, I just read that scripture this morning. 
And you get this divine opportunity to be reset. Look at this scripture out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Worship corrects our hopelessness and ignites faith despite how we feel. Anyway, that was really good, so I thought I'd read it. (laughs) Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I'm going to stop there to simply say, we're now set up for the rest of what this scripture says. We're, We're talking about, number one, being rooted and grounded in the word. Okay? So, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Now, what does it mean to admonish somebody? It means you're verbally correcting them. What's that have to do with worship? Have you ever read this and thought, that's a weird thing to say? It's like, I mean, what am I doing? I'm like, <laughs> coming up to people like, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You know what I mean? Nasty, nasty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Melvin, get your life in order. You're a mean one. You know? I don't know the words, but I'm just saying. Like, is that what it, like, are we supposed to literally go around and you're like, hang on, just a second, just a second. Charles, you suck in these five ways. You know, like, is that, like, we're admonishing one another with psalms and hymns? Like, what does that even mean? here's what it means. (laughs) We're teaching and admonishing. We've touched on it just a little bit. We get this, this opportunity to have our minds renewed in this space of worship. <laughs> and when we when we come in those doors, when our when our thinking is out of whack, when our doing's been out of whack, when we're feeling like a piece of dookie, when we're, when, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we're just being real, right? We've come in, we're depressed, and the world is clinging to us, and all this stuff. We can come in, and the word of God will actually admonish us. There's a there's a there's a place. There's a place in the body of Christ for face-to-face confrontation. I would submit to you, the Bible says that's in a place of relationship, okay? Right? That's why one of the reasons we have destiny groups, so that you can build relationship, people can speak into your life. Ultimately, we call that discipleship, right? There's a place for face-to-face correction in the Bible, okay? But it seems to me that the, Bible, that the scriptures, I am spitting everywhere, Lord Jesus, don't let it be on the cameras. We don't want to scare anybody. Maybe I need this. It's 11.11, just in case anybody was curious. Well, it just changed. (laughs) How about I derail myself? What are we talking about? (laughs) There's a place for face-to-face correction. It's okay. I mean, I've only worked 90 hours this week and, you know, was troubleshooting stuff up till about five seconds ago. So I'm doing real good. (laughs) You're welcome. No. (laughs) Yeah. I derailed myself again. Lord Jesus, I need some brain power. I receive it, Lord. There's a face in the body of Christ for there's a place in the body of Christ for face-to-face correction. But it seems to me that scripture is pointing out to us that he's actually designed worship to be a place that brings correction from the one who does it far better than we can. How many of you know it's it's Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction to people? Now, obviously we partner with him, we speak truth, right? In relationship, we want to be able to, uh, to engage with one another and help people move into a place of health. But the Word of God says 
that when you come through those doors and you engage in the place of worship, that he's actually addressing your lifestyle by what you're singing and what's coming out of your mouth. Think about that for a second. He's addressing your sexuality by what you're singing and what's by the scripture. The scripture is admonishing you and positioning you to receive correction from the almighty corrector. The scripture itself, or like the, the, like the songs that you're singing, or you're going, like it's, it's actually admonishing you. It's bringing correction to corrupt lifestyles. It's bringing corruption, uh, correction to, to corrupt hearts, to stony hearts, to, to just you know, vaguely or like broadly say like issues of sin in your heart and in your life. And I would submit to you, like it doesn't always require somebody getting in your face and telling you you're a filthy sinner. Sometimes, and it seems to me the scriptures create this space, sometimes God wants people to come and just sit in his presence. Sometimes they just need to bake in a place where they can begin to align their identity back with him without having a people that look at them and judge them. Anybody watch the Jesus Revolution? Man, isn't that part of what they discovered in that season? I mean, 50 years ago, how, how quickly we've forgotten. How quickly we've forgotten that the church is supposed to be a safe place for people. Uh, let, me, let me say that differently. A safe place for sinners. How quickly we've forgotten that it's the sick who need a physician. This is part of what we do in the place of worship. I mean, we've got testimonies right here of people where the Holy Spirit has done this very thing to bring conviction to lifestyle, unholy lifestyles, unholy behaviors without anybody having to say a word. Because guess what? He's really, really good at his job. And I'll be honest, I'm not great at it sometimes. I'm like, what do you call me, a cleric? I'm a D. I like the disc test. That other one's demonic. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just, honestly, I'm more inclined to go, uh, that's stupid. Stop it. Amen. Yeah, that thing that you did there, don't do that anymore. That's your problem. Stop it. Right? And how many of you know that's not the best approach? <laughs> but creating a space on Sunday mornings for someone to come through those doors to encounter God and to allow his overwhelming love experience to move them to repentance? Is it my rebuke that moves them to repentance or his kindness? <laughs> Come on. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. Amen. Bet you didn't know that was all part of worship, did you? Corey's like, I had no idea. <laughs> Just joking, Corey. Just joking. It not only brings correction, but it brings teaching. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns. We've talked about that just a little bit. You know, you have an opportunity to come in here and get your theology corrected. It's teaching you. Every time we come and we sing and we're singing out of the scriptures and we're singing something that's biblically accurate and God help us to do that. You know, it's teaching you. It's teaching you the word of the, God, uh, the, word of the Lord. This book of the law. I have a terrible time memorizing scripture. How in the world do I still remember that? <laughs> <laughs> say this and Pastor Misty introduced this it's not just singing songs it's a lifestyle isn't it think about worship like this 
Worship is basically the expression of whatever is put on the throne of your life. It's whatever is put on the throne of your life. And so I would say that could be exchanged in a given moment. So it's not necessarily always the same thing. But any given moment, we can just replace it with something else. You know? So worship is the expression of whatever is on the throne of your life. So it begs the question, what's on the throne of your life? What's on the throne of your life? Is it him? Or let's just broadly say, or is it your flesh? See, when, I, when, the, when my flesh, it's talking about my, like a, it's not my sin nature, but, like, but a sin nature, the old propensity to sin or the desire to reach out and grab a hold of the bad fruit versus the good fruit, right? Like, like when, when that's on the altar, when, when I'm going after sin, I'm on the throne of my life. I'm God of my life. So what's on the throne of your life? And I, and I see the, the, the inverse is that, that, that when we are deferring to his ways, when we are denying our flesh, when we're laying our lives down, it's worship to him. It's worship to him. When I'm on the throne, it's worship to me. When he's on the throne, it's worship to him. Who's on the throne of your life? Man, I, I, at any given moment, there are so many different things that we could have on the throne of our lives. There's so many different things that we could be worshiping, like fear. You know, if, if, if fear is, is on the throne of your life, how many of you know you're never going to step out of the boat when he says, come? He's like, I need you to start this business venture, and you're like, ain't no way. There's too many risks involved in that. You'll never take a risk of fear is what you're worshiping. Well, how do you twist that around? You deny fear and you go, come hell or high water, I will serve my king. I will be obedient. I will do what you've said, even at great sacrifice to myself, to my flesh, and to my comfort zones, which would be another one that we exalt. If your comforts are on the throne of your life, you're, you're going to, can I just say, you, your life is going to be filled with compromise? I mean, that's the truth of it. Because I'm, I'm only going to go after those things that make me comfortable, and I cut those things off that make me uncomfortable. And so, you know, here's some things that make us uncomfortable. Growing. Growing makes me very uncomfortable. I really would rather, I'm not, it's not me, actually. I'm not a status quo guy. I'm speaking to 75% of everyone else, you know. Growth means you have to step out of your comfort zone. Growth means you have to deny yourself. And growth means that there's some hard work ahead. If comfort's on the throne of your life, you're never going to choose to do the hard work necessary to actually begin to look like Jesus. And let me tell you, it's some hard work. It's some hard work. You know? And I will compromise. I will compromise my calling. I will compromise my gifts. Because I guarantee you, your gifts partnered with Jesus are going to bring you right out of your comfort zone. If comfort is, is my God, I'm never going to preach the gospel to my neighbor. Because for very few of us, that's, like, like that's not a very comfortable experience. You know? and, and you could just replace, for some of you, replace comforts with rejection. You're exalting rejection over the reality of the word that says that he's bought you with a price and pulled you into family. You're not rejected. You've been bought. He wanted you. 
You put rejection on the top of your list, all of a sudden you've isolated yourself. You've isolated yourself from people. You've sabotaged relationships. And all of it in the name of worshiping rejection. Worshiping your comfort zone. The refusal to step out of status quo to do the hard work necessary to get yourself fixed. Right? What is on the throne of your life? And what about acceptance? That's another good one. Acceptance. Man, there's something on the inside of us that I think is a godly thing that wants us to have people that like us. But just, I mean, does anybody just, I don't know, does anybody thrive off of wanting, like, like having people in your life that hate you? Like, is that, that's like not a good thing, right? I mean, I don't know if, if maybe Pastor Misty does some sozo stuff, like maybe just, like, I don't know anybody who's healthy who would think, oh yeah, it's great when the whole world's aligned against me and nobody likes me. So it's like, I think it's a good thing. There's something, because we're called to come together as family. But listen, when we've exalted acceptance to the throne of our life, you know, we're, we're not going to step in in obedience to do the things that otherwise would deem us unacceptable. So we're going to begin to compromise and look like the world. Right? Because I, I, I want my coworkers to think I'm cool. I want them to like me. And so when they're gossiping around the water cooler, I, I'm going to be inclined to engage with them because I, you know, I, I want to be a part of the friend group. I, I, I want to I feel like when I come to work that people like me and they accept me as I, you know, like, not as I am. That's actually the problem. But right? Like, is acceptance on the throne of your life? Because if acceptance is on the throne of your life, you're worshiping you, not God. And you can spin it all around by the next time there's like, you know, like water cooler gossip happening. You can actually sacrifice your acceptance and the cool factor to disengage from that to say, ah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to participate in that. Oh, you, you geek, you're one of those Jesus freaks. Yep. You know, and the thing is, there, there seems to be something about it that, that's attached to worship. There's, this, there's something attached to the element of sacrifice in our life that's such a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You know, and in those moments, I would suggest to you that we are making a great sacrifice. Like, to deny my flesh in any given moment is a sacrifice, particularly when our God and our past life... I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean before Jesus. Our, our God pre-Jesus was acceptance or rejection or fear or one of these things. Like in those moments when we're tempted to follow through that exact same pathway for the sake of worshiping that God and we deny our flesh and we say, I'm not going to do that. I, I refuse to step into that at my own expense. That's worship to God. Do you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Mary, Mary who, who poured the, the perfume out on Jesus' feet? Like, it was culturally unacceptable. You know, if, if your God is fear or comfort or, or any of these things we've talked about and any number of other things probably we haven't talked about, like if, if those things are your God, you're never going to become a Mary. Like Mary, who Jesus said, like, everywhere the gospel's preached, I think that's what he said about Mary, this particular Mary. Like, everywhere the gospel's preached, this woman's name's going to be mentioned for what she did, for the sacrifice that she made in that place. The Pharisees hated her, despised her, thought she was weird. Like, what in the world? Filthy, like, scummy sinner lady, like, sexually immoral gal. Like, what in the world? Like, you know, the, the, the believers in the room that were supposed to be operating in love, 
who've been personally discipled by Jesus were like, wait, listen, I don't even know what this crazy crack clown is doing right now. And like, what are you doing touching my Savior's feet? Like, don't even touch, don't touch Jesus. Don't touch Jesus. Right? Like she was willing to endure censure from literally everyone in that moment in order to bring an extravagant act of worship to God. You won't do that. unless, Like you can't do that unless you're denying your flesh. Because there's nothing comfortable about what Mary did in that moment. Like everything about that was uncomfortable. It was weird. And now she's the, like not only she's like the filthy sinner lady with the terrible past, she's also the weird one. It's like the weird one who's dancing up there in worship. Like, wow, that's weird stuff. Like, like, man, do you hear that lady free singing in the back during that open section? That's some weird stuff right there. You know, like she's, like she's labeled as weird. She's, she's taken ridicule from everybody. And here's the thing. She was willing to lay her life down unto persecution. That was an act of worship. I mean, and again, I, I want this to be personal, so I, I have to ask, so what's your life like? Is your life worship to God, or is it worship to, to something else? Are you glorifying the king by denying yourself? And, and honestly, I, 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 think this is why, I think this is why martyrdom is so pleasing to God. I know it's weird. You're like, wait, what? Like, how does this comprehend? Like, I just can't even, I, I think some of our, Some of the incomprehensible nature is the fact that we're so, like we have our white knuckle grip on this life and and we're disconnected from the reality of eternity. You know, I think that's some of it. But here's the thing. Martyrdom is the ultimate denial of self. I don't care what you are trying to make me say. I will not deny Jesus. You know, I will not stop preaching the name of Jesus. I will not stop telling people about Jesus Christ, my Savior. I will not. I refuse to back down, right? It's the ultimate denial of self, and ultimately then by extension or the inverse of that it would be it's the ultimate expression of worship. But here's the thing, guys. Like, it, it's one thing to talk about laying your life down on the mission field or, you know, in the inner city or something, you know, like your physical life, it's a, far, it's, a, it's a whole other thing to talk about the reality that you and I have been called to lay our lives down on the daily. The Apostle Paul says, I die daily. How many of you know we are called to be daily martyrs? We're called to wake up in the morning and deny our flesh. We're called to wake up in the morning and kind of go, yep, that instrument of torture that's there, I'm going to carry that around with me all day long as a reminder that that guy's dead and that all of his behaviors get to die with him and that I've been raised again, born again, new creation before Christ Jesus, that I'm not what I was. I'll never be that again. And if I'm tempted to do it, all I got to do is look over my shoulder and go, yes, Lord, there's the cross. I die daily. Every day I'm called to come in as a martyr, to lay down my life, to deny my flesh, to step out of my sinful behaviors and thoughts and practices, and to step into worship of the King which would be literally anything opposite of what I just said. Jesus tells us greater love has no one than this than one would lay down his life for a friend. How many of you know you're called to love? How many of you know love looks like something? Love's not a, a feeling can come. But love's not something you say, oh, I love you, that's great, that's great, yeah, demonstrate it. it. It's a demonstration. It's a, it's a life laid down 
You and I, we are called to step into this which Jesus modeled and lay our lives down for him in the ultimate expression of daily worship. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said this, he said, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. See, love looks like something. Here it's saying, there, it, it, it talks about this, this fragrant aroma. It's actually a reference to the Old Testament system of sacrificial, uh, uh, of sacrifice, burnt sacrifice, where they would take a sacrifice before the Lord. They would burn it, and it would arise as a sweet-smelling incense to God, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. He wasn't satisfied with the sacrifice, but it was the sense of what, what it meant in the people's life. And here he's saying, your life, Christians, your life laid down, that's when like your life positioned on the altar before him like that's when it begins to swirl as a sweet smelling incense as an offering to his name that's when your lifestyle becomes one of worship when you lay your life on the altar like a burnt sacrifice and you say father your will be done not my will And you deny your flesh, you deny your own desires, and you partner with him. You yoke yourself with him that his will would be done in your life on earth as it is in heaven. When you make that your daily aim, your daily self-denial of your flesh, your old patterns of behavior, that stinky thinking, as Rosie says, when when you make that your aim, when you make him your focus, that's when your life becomes worship. That's when your life is that sweet-smelling aroma that arises to heaven. Here's the thing that I find fascinating about this. Jesus has yoked, the Bible yokes together our love for him with our, with our love or the expression of our love for people. I wish he hadn't. Because honestly, I just go to an island. I'd be like, I'm not going to see another. Like, it's easy. I'm I worship you. There's no people here, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's easy. But people, people are painful. Uh, people are hard to deal with. Uh, people can be entitled. People can be mean, mean-spirited. They can say stuff. They push your buttons. They can be lazy, self-serving, right? Oh, it's easy to say that we love God, but he's yoked it with loving people. The ultimate expression, by extension of what we're talking about, the ultimate expression of worship to God is your life laid down and the service of people. Now, let me add, I talked about sacrifice. I would say in the service of people that you don't even like. Slaves, honor your masters like they're Jesus. Wives, Honor your husbands, even if they're disobedient to the word. That by your chaste and respectful behavior, they'll be one without a word from you. Somebody need to hear that. The ultimate expression of worship is our life laid down in service, particularly when that service is a people that are pushing the buttons. And when I deny myself and I manage myself by the grace that God provides, it is a sweet-smelling incense. 
It's a sweet-smelling incense. There's so much sacrifice built into that. There's so much love for him built into my actions now towards people. See, we see this. Jesus is talking about the end times judgment, and I'll just end with this just so you can see it in the scripture. Matthew chapter 25 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Now think about what we're talking about. We're talking about serving people, right? When did we see you hungry and and feed you or or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? When naked or, uh, or naked and then clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and he'll say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. See, Jesus merges. The scriptures merge our love for God with the love for people. And so when we're talking about a lifestyle of worship, we're talking about that merge. We're talking about, God, I love you enough to curb this. I love you enough to curb this. Because after all, that's where this comes from anyway. I love you enough to work on this. Like, I, I, I love you enough to, de- to deny my comfort zone when you've called me to step out of the boat and do something scary. Like, I love you enough not to retaliate and respond with negativity and, and, and censure. Not to, I love you enough to consider you in my interactions with other people. Like, I, I, I love you enough to step out of my boat and go to my neighbor next door and tell them about you. I love you enough to step out of my comfort zone. I love you enough to deny fear. I love you enough to go get that sozo because I need one, because I'm struggling. Like, I love you enough to keep my mouth shut when my husband's saying something that's stupid. I love you enough not to snap at my children when I've had a really long week. I love you enough to deny myself, to exalt you to the highest place. I love you enough to serve those that are around you just like your word says, as if I'm serving you. This is a lifestyle of worship. And when we deny ourselves to that degree, our life becomes a sweet-smelling aroma of sacrifice and Christ-likeness that swirls up, catches his attention. Like In those moments, I'm telling you, he, he releases favor. He releases advancement. We could spend our whole lives, church, going around the mountain... And he'll go, all right, take another lap. And we're like, oh, feels like I'm never going to get there. Yet you're never going to get there because of your mouth. You're never going to get there because you're still continuing to grumble and complain. Another lap, let's go. Like a coach. All right, boys, let's go. Another lap. Woo! Oh! <laughs> right? I don't want to go around the mountain 40 years. I want to learn the lessons right now. And listen, every interaction with another human being is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to love Jesus with everything that's in your heart, with all your strength, your soul, your mind, right? Every opportunity with another person is an opportunity to love him and to allow your life to be a sweet-smelling incense and to allow God to catch a whiff of that sacrifice and to release favor, grace, and promotion over you. Amen? That's why this is a core value here. Jesus is worthy of our musical worship and all that happens in that place. And he's worthy of this life laid down. That's it. Father, we ask. Well, you know what? I don't ask for it. I thank you for the grace. 
I thank you for the grace that is available to do that which we just talked about. We say your grace is sufficient for us. Honestly, if we've just been saved and we're still renewing our mind, that's okay. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your Holy Spirit has the ability to rudder our life and our tongue. You have the ability to do it. You are way bigger than us and our old patterns of behavior and thinking. And we choose you this day. We choose you to worship you with everything that's on the inside of us. We choose this day to lay down our lives, to deny our flesh, and to exalt your lordship, your kingship over every thought, over every word that comes out of our mouth, and over every action. And Jesus, help us to know when we're supposed to pour our lives out as a drink offering and when we're supposed to try to recoup. Help us to understand the balance of that as we endeavor to live our lives in service and in worship of you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.